I appreciate so much uh, Pastor Colby and Pastor Keith giving me the opportunity to preach today. My first time to preach back here at our at my church, our home church, since I retired in November of 2014. When I go and speak at other churches, occasionally I uh, don't seek that out. I don't call my pastor friends and send out letters because I tell people I like to be at my church on Sundays, but when I'm invited to supply somewhere, I do, and I always tell the story of what God has done through Alberta Baptist Church and how God used a storm to do great things in our church, in our community, and in the two churches coming together, and what a wonderful story that is to tell. I'd like you to turn your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11, and just hold your place there. If you've got it on your iPhone, your screen will go blank before I actually read the text. I'll just give you a warning. I want to give a little introduction, but we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11, as I speak today on life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit, how to live the Christian life. Let me just start by telling a story that I heard some years ago told by a pastor on radio, Dr. John MacArthur. He told the story about a man who one day, on a Monday morning, he got up and he decided, you know, I'm tired of shaving. I'm not going to shave anymore. And now he, some of our men in our church have come to that point where they're tired of it. And he was tired of it, but he was not going to grow a beard. He decided he would go down to the local barber shop and get a shave. And so he goes down to the barber shop, and, he, and by the way, this barber shop was owned, happened to be owned by a Baptist pastor. And his wife, Grace, worked in there with him. And so on this particular day, though, the pastor was not there. Grace was there, and he told her he wanted to shave. And so she sat him in the chair. She started to proceed and give him the shave. Then she said, that'll be $20. And he thought, well, that kind of sounds kind of steep. But he paid her anyway, thanked her and left and went on home, went about his way. The next day, he got up in the morning. He looked in the mirror. His beard had not grown any. No stubble, nothing. Next day, woke up, same thing. His beard hadn't grown any. Every day, a week went by, and he had not had to have another shave, and he had no beard to shave. And so curiosity got the best of them. He went back to the barber shop. He went in. Grace was there. And he said, you know, the most amazing thing has happened ever since you shaved me I've never had to shave since. My beard has not grown. He said, I've just got to know, what did you use on my face? She said, well, I'll tell you, you've been shaved by grace. Once shaved, always shaved. <clears throat> now, I like what Pastor Keith said uh, the other week when he said that, you know, he used that phrase, once saved, always saved. And he said, the key is the once saved part, and I agree with that. In fact, uh, the Bible talks of this, speaks of this doctrine as being the perseverance of the saints, that those who are truly the saved will persevere in their faith. They will continue in the faith. And you know, the, the Bible in Romans, the book of Romans, gives us the greatest in-depth teaching on the doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It, ha it develops that and gives us more information about what all that involves in the book of Romans. You say, well, did 
Paul explain it better than Jesus? No. Just remember, it was the spirit of Jesus in Paul revealing that truth to him that he penned as he did to all the human writers of, the, of our, our scriptures. And so Jesus gave a lot of uh, truth, a lot of truth. But Paul built on that truth and began to teach what it meant to be justified by faith. Justification, another term for salvation, one of several used in the scripture. And so the book of Romans develops that. And also the book of Romans gives us the key... In, in chapter 8 especially, gives us the key to living that, the Christian life that God desires us to live. It's the key of the Holy Spirit, living the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now let me just give you a little bit of my personal testimony. I was saved here at Alberta Baptist Church when I was 8 years old, almost 9. And when I came to faith in Jesus Christ... In my mind, I thought I would never sin again. Now, I was in for a rude awakening because it didn't take very long for me to realize that I still was sometimes sinning and a lot more than I ever thought I would after I became a Christian. I didn't think I would sin at all. So I learned that even after you become a Christian, you still sin. And for 17 years, I tried to live the Christian life in my own power and my own strength. 17 years. I was about 26 years old, 26, 27, when I came to understand that there was a power that God had put in me in the person of His Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit living in me, that would provide the power and I could rely on Him and trust in Him to live the Christian life. Now, I wish I could tell you that once I learned that, that I never sinned again. That's not the case. In fact, even at age 67, I'm still having to put sin to death in my life. I don't know about you, but I'm still having to do that. But I'm telling you, as long as you live, you will struggle against sin. We will struggle with sin. It's always the temptations and Satan's working in our hearts and through the unredeemed body and the the unrenewed mind. We will deal with sin in our lives. But I'm going to share with you when we see it in Scripture today how we can put to death sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 13 tells us that. I'm not going that far. We're going to end at 11. But uh, let's, let's now read this text. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the Spirit flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Notice in that verse, the word Spirit, the name Spirit. Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ. There you see the the Trinity 
actually brought in. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, speak to our hearts today. Lord, teach us how we do not have to depend on ourselves to live the Christian life, that you provide a power beyond our own human effort. And you provide within us, Lord, the means to be able to live a life that pleases you. If we will learn to walk in the Spirit, walk by means of the Spirit, walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, and learn to be daily filled with your Holy Spirit, when we do that and we do not trust just in our own human effort, we can have success in living the Christian life. Not perfect, but we are able to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. We have the power when we see sin in our lives to to confess it as sin and put it to death, to kill that sin by the power of your Spirit. So teach us, Lord, to live by faith and walk by faith each day, trusting in you. And I pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. The Holy Spirit is mentioned only one time in chapters, Romans chapters 1 through 7. One time, but nearly 20 times in this one chapter of Romans 8, we see references made to the Holy Spirit or the, or the Spirit or the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is God's provision for holy living in the life of a child of God. It is God's provision that He has given us. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God places His life in us. So it's not just our own human determination and our human grit and, and, and our own human effort at living the Christian life. By the way, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is equal in every way to God. We worship one God who is expressed in three persons. And this is what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. You don't find the word Trinity in the Bible, but it is clearly taught throughout the Scripture. You cannot miss it. It is one of the clearest truths of Scripture that we have. There are two kinds of people in the world, and we see those spoken about in this passage that I've read today. First of all, there are those who are in the flesh. This is a description of a person without Jesus Christ, a person who has not been born again, a person who has not been saved from their sin, a person who has not been rescued from their sin. They are in the flesh. The word flesh is used several ways in the Bible. Sometimes it's used to refer to mankind in general. Sometimes it's used to refer to the literal flesh of the body. But sometimes, and in this passage we see, that flesh is used to represent human nature apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've used the word regenerating in my outline that you see. It talks about the unregenerate man and then the the regenerate man. That's a word, comes from the 
we, we know that the Holy Spirit is the, the agent of regeneration, making our spirit new, giving us a new heart. And so the Holy Spirit is, when He comes to live in us, He makes us a new person. A person is either in the flesh or, in other words, he is under His human nature is under the dominion of sin, or He is in the Spirit, which means He is a Christian, He belongs to the Lord, and He has received the life of God into Himself. The uh, NIV translation translates flesh in this passage as sin nature. It talks about uh, in the, in, being in the, in the flesh, being talking about our sinful nature. Look at verse 9, by the way, and you'll see both of these phrases. Verse 9 where he says, however, you are not in the flesh. Okay? He says, you're not, you're not an unbeliever. Your human nature is not still under the dominion of sin. You are not in the flesh. And then he says, um, if indeed the Spirit of God, but in the Spirit, I'm sorry, the second part of that, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You are, you have been regenerated by the Spirit of God. You are in the Spirit. You are in the realm of the Spirit. So, with that background in mind, let's look, first of all, at the condition, or we might say the characteristics of unregenerate man. A person who still is under, uh, has that, the nature that we are born with when we come into this world. A person who has not experienced the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit of God, who has not been born again, who has not been saved. First of all, we see that that person is under the dominion of sin. Look in verse 5, first of all. For those who are according to the flesh. Now here that phrase is used. In verse 9 it says in the flesh, but according to the flesh, in the flesh. In this passage it's referring to the same person. The person who is under the rule of sin, who is under the reign of sin, whose life is dominated by sin. Doesn't mean that the person is an extremely evil person in, in the way they live their life. They might be what we would call a good moral person. But they have never experienced a new birth. They have never received Christ into their life. And so therefore, when we are in that situation, by the way, every believer in this room today, before you came to Christ, your human nature was under the dominion, the reign, the rule of sin. You might not have realized it in that way at the time you came to Christ, but I'm telling you, that's what the Scripture teaches us here. So even a person that is, has not been regenerated, a per, an unregenerate man, an unsaved man, person, even the good that that person may do, he does it to earn the favor of others or to make himself feel good, to make... Uh, the person make them feel good about themselves. So oftentimes a person that's never been saved can do things that we would term as good. You probably know of some people that are not Christians that they live a pretty good, uh, a moral, good kind of life in the way we as humans measure that. But even, you see, when you do that, you're, you're living a self-righteous life. You're saying, I can be good on my own. I I really don't need a relationship with God. I'm an honest person. I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. Uh, I'm a good employee. 
I'm a good employer. And, and we can justify that. But you see, that all the root of that's pride. It's saying I'm self-sufficient. I can be good. I can be righteous. And I can deserve heaven and eternal life because I'm a good person. But you see, God doesn't measure goodness that way. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, the Bible says that our human goodness, our self-righteousness is like filthy rags in the eyes of God. Because we are doing it at our own strength and for our, really for our own glory and not for the glory of God. Every person, no matter how good we live, at age nine when I came to Christ, I, you know, when you measure yourself against other people, I, I did pretty well. And how much sin can a nine-year-old commit? Because you've got parents right there on you all the time. And so, you know, you're pretty much constrained They restrain sin in your life. But you see, I realized one day that though I went to church three times a week, every time the church was open, I was there. And a lot of times when the doors weren't open, I was there. I attended a funeral of uh, Miss Campbell, Mary Campbell, that uh, was a longtime member here in Alberta. And her son Bobby and I grew up together. And Bobby and I reminisced and went over this story together how in the original building that had a, had a balcony in it. And uh, Bobby and I had been playing RA football. Larry Davis was our RA leader. And we'd come back to the church, and uh, Bobby and I, you know, like kids like to roam through the church building. We were roaming through the church building. We ended up in the balcony. And so we're standing there, you know, and we had a football. I don't know if it was his or mine, but Bobby had the football. And all of a sudden, I don't know what possessed him to do it, but he punted that football from the balcony. It landed on the communion table in the offering plates, and they were clanging and making all this noise. And I just knew somebody in the office was going to hear us. And we ran down there and got that football and got out of there as quick as we could. You know, Grady Nutt, I heard him say one time, some of you know who he is, he was a Christian humorist, he was called the Prime Minister of Humor, and it was even on Hee Haw, a little segment he had on Hee Haw. He said one time he learned to sin in church. You know, sometimes we think if we go to church all the time and do all this, we won't sin, but, you know, we, we do. And some of the things we sin are things we actually learn and do at church, like me and this friend of mine. But you see, uh, our, our, our human nature without Christ is under the dominion of sin. Also, and I'll try to hit these subpoints a little faster. The second subpoint there is like your life, that person's life in the flesh, is predo- predominantly reflects the sin nature. That kind of overlaps what I just said. But I want you to see this in verse 4, which is not a part of our text today. But it says, in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That word walk there means live or conduct yourself. It's saying that a believer does not conduct himself According to the flesh. He doesn't live in the flesh. Now, can we commit deeds of the flesh? Yes, we can. We'll see that in a moment. But his life is not dominated by sin. It says that in order that the requirement of the law might be filled in us who do not walk, who do not conduct themselves according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So there you see even the contrast of how a person lives. A person who is unregenerate, their life predominantly, predominantly reflects 
a nature of sin. We see this in Galatians chapter 5, even a listing of some of the deeds of the flesh. Galatians 5, verse 19, it says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are... This is not an exhaustive list. It's just a sample list. But let me just read those verses. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Now that hits closer to home, doesn't it? Disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Can a Christian commit any of those sins? Yes. Can a Christian willfully, habitually practice such sins and others that aren't even mentioned here without regret toward God, without repentance toward God? I think this verse says that that those who practice such things do not know God, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So, here we see an example of a life that predominantly reflects the sin nature. Now, the third sub-point... A person that is in the flesh, their mind is set on pleasing self. Look in verse 5 in our original text. Romans 8, verse 5. Here the Bible says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Well, what is the basis of all sin is self, pride, and selfishness, and self-centeredness. The mind that's, in the, that's on the flesh, set on the flesh, is the mind that's set on what pleases self rather than what pleases God. And as I said earlier, it doesn't necessarily mean evil acts. It just means that you live your life for your own purposes, with your own priorities, as opposed to what God's purpose is and God's priorities. A person whose mind is set on the flesh means their affections, what they love and what they desire, their desires are set on earthly things. And your object of pursuit is something other than God. It can be something that's not bad in and of itself, but anything you pursue other than God, you're a person in the flesh, their mind is set on earthly things. The person that's in the flesh habitually thinks about worldly things or earthly things, and those things give that person the most satisfaction in life. In Colossians chapter 3, I don't think this is on the screen, but let me read. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Notice what the Bible says. It's not on the screen, but it's in your Bible. So if you got it, take a look. It says, if you... Then, if then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are on the earth. You see, what you set your mind on sets the course for your how you live your life. And a mind that's set on earthly things. If you live your life for the here and now and not the forever, not for eternity... If you live your life just for the pleasure you can get from this life and and for whatever your self-interests are in this life and you do not live your life for the glory of God, then your mind is set on the things of this earth, acquiring the worldly things and, and 
and, and giving yourselves to things that are associated with the world and earthly things. We have a higher mindset, and we'll see that in a moment. And then the next, the person that's in the flesh, the man that's, that's unregenerate, unsaved, is spiritually dead. And we see this in verse 6. A person without Christ is spiritually dead. All of us before we came to Christ were spiritually dead. Verse 6 says, for the mindset on the flesh is death. doesn't say it will lead to death, and it will lead to eternal death, but it says is death. That means in the here and now, a person without Christ is spiritually dead because you're without the life of God. All of us before we came to Christ were spiritually dead. There may be some in this room today that you've never come to faith in Christ. You've never trusted. You've never come by grace alone and put your faith in Christ alone, believed on Him, His work on the cross, and His death for your sin. Maybe today is the day God is calling you to come to Himself. So a person that is unregenerate is spiritually dead. In Ephesians chapter 2, Verses 1 and 2, notice what the scripture says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He's writing to the church and he's saying, this is what was true of you before you came to Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, the pattern of this world, the path of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. The spirit that works in the sons of disobedience is the spirit of Satan himself. So we are under the dominion of sin and under the dominion of Satan before we come to faith in Christ. Not only that, look in verse 7. We, man in the flesh is hostile toward God. Romans 8, verse 7. I should have included verse 8 here. You won't see 8 on the screen, but I'll read both of those verses. Uh, Romans verse 8, verses 7 and 8. Verse 7 says, Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. We don't see ourselves that way sometimes, do we? Apart from Christ. We don't, maybe, maybe you went to church a lot before you came to Christ. And you didn't see yourself as hostile toward God. But the Bible says... That the man whose, whose heart is set, mind is set on the flesh, is hostile toward God. That, that means that we don't want God to run our lives apart from Christ. Before we come to Christ, we, we did not want Christ, to, God, to run our lives. Maybe a person that's in the flesh, uh, maybe he believes in God, believes God exists, but he will not submit to Him. That's what the next part says. For it does not subject himself to the, mind, to the law of God. A person whose mind is set on the flesh, a man who is in the flesh, cannot please God. He does not subject himself to the law of God. Someone said that it's easier for a shark to fly than it is for a, for a, a, a man in the flesh to please God and do righteousness. In fact, in verse 8 it says, And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So I've lumped all that under hostility toward God, rebellion toward God. Without Christ, in our natural state of being, we have a nature that is rebellious toward God. Does not submit itself to God's law. Maybe a person without Christ can keep the letter of the law in, in some ways. 
but not the spirit of the law. He keeps the law or does some keeping of God's law. He does it to preserve his own ego, to make him look good, as I mentioned a moment ago. And really, that person picks and chooses what they want to do. A person in the flesh says, well, I'll give you part of my heart, but not all of it. You know, a part of my life, but not all. I'll I'll keep this law and this law, but I'm not sure about this law and that law. And then it says that a person in the flesh is unable to please God. Now, let's quickly move to the second thing, and that is the condition of of regenerate man, the condition of a person that's in Christ, in the Spirit, a person who has been born again. And we see this in verses 9 to 11. First of all, that person is under the dominion of the Spirit. Look in verse 9. We read it before, let's read it again. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Every Christian, every believer is in the Spirit. That means that we exist in the realm where the Holy Spirit rules and reigns. Again, not that we live a sinless life, but it means that we have a, the Holy Spirit has regenerated our hearts, our spirits. He's done something and it makes us a different person and it will show on the outside. And it should show more on the outside even the more we grow in Christ. So a person that is in the Spirit is under the dominion, the rule, or the reign of the Holy Spirit. Also, secondly... A person that is in the Spirit, their life predominantly reflects the new righteous nature. That, it, that should be the case, that we predominate, not perfectly. It's not that we never sin, but it is that we repent of sin, we confess sin, we turn from sin, we forsake sin, we put to death sin, we struggle against sin. Yes, we give in to temptation sometimes or many times, but we deal with that sin. A person with the Spirit of God in them cannot live willfully disobedient without the Holy Spirit bringing conviction in our lives. So we still have the capacity to sin, but we also have the capacity not to sin. We have the capacity to live a righteous life, a life characterized generally by righteousness. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, right close to where we read earlier, notice what the Scripture says. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is, we saw the deeds of the flesh, now the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it says, against such things there is no law. The Holy Spirit puts those desires in our life. And we must, however, daily trust the Spirit of God to produce His fruit in us. That's what I mean by not trying to live the, whole, the Christian life just in your own power, your own strength, your own human effort. But it's relying on the power that God has given us by coming to live in us and empowering us to live a way that pleases Him. So we must rely or trust on the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit in us. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5 Verses 16 and 17, this may not be on the screen either, I'm not sure. But it says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That means to walk in step with the Spirit, walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
trusting in His power, relying on Him. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So the Holy Spirit, uh, we are to follow Him. We are to be filled with the Spirit. We are to let the Spirit control us day by day. So we are under the dominion of the Holy Spirit. Life, our life predominantly reflects the new righteous nature. And the next thing is the person that's in the Spirit sets his mind on pleasing the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, pleasing the Lord Jesus. We could say it that way, but it's the Spirit of Christ who lives in us, as verse 5 says in our original text. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those in who are according to the Spirit, the, mind, the things of the Spirit. That means they set their minds on the things of the Spirit, on heavenly things. What does that mean? It means that a person whose mind is set on the Spirit, their mind is inter- they, they are interested in spiritual things. They're, they are attracted to them. They desire them. They pursue them. A person that is in the Spirit, they're are interested in salvation, their own salvation and that of others because the Holy Spirit is the agent of salvation. A person whose mind is set on pleasing the Spirit, they are interested in glorifying Jesus because the Holy Spirit's chief work is to glorify Christ, to be a witness to Christ. A person that's in the, that's in the Spirit is concerned with holiness and does not want to grieve the Holy Spirit or quench the Spirit. A person who is in the Spirit, whose mind is set on the Spirit, they enjoy communion and fellowship with other believers. They, they enjoy prayer, spending time with God, talking with Him, enjoy worshiping with believers as we have come to do even this day. A person that is, is their mind is set on the Spirit, they're interested in using their spiritual gift to help build up the body of Christ. So we're connected to one another in the body, using our gifts, because the Bible says that the Spirit gives to each believer individually as He wills, as He desires. Well, and a person whose mind is set on, on the Spirit loves the Word of God, on the things above, loves the Word of God, because the, the Spirit is the one who has given us the Word of God by inspiring men to pen the scriptures that we hold in our hands even today. And not only that, a person who is in the Spirit is spiritually alive. Look in verse 6, it says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. That means has eternal life and has peace with God. Is spiritually alive and dwelt by the Trinity, indwelt by the Spirit, the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of Christ. All interchangeable terms for the same person. I ask you today, have you been born again? Do you have the Spirit of God in you? Are you spiritually alive? And verse 10 goes on to elaborate on that. It says, and if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Basically what he's saying there is that believers still have an unredeemed body. We have a a body that, and that includes our brain and all of its thought processes. And we're, we're still tempted. We're tempted by the sinful desires of this fleshly body 
that we, we still possess. It will not be redeemed and given a new body until we get to heaven to be with the Lord. So we're still subject to sin. But because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, our spirit is alive. And we have the capacity to manifest true righteousness. Isn't that a blessing to know that God will enable us, if we trust Him, to live a life that manifests the true righteousness of Christ? And then, one final thing. And that is a person who is in the Spirit, one day in the future is going to have a redeemed body, a new body. And we see that in verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. In other words, one day Christ is going to come back and take up His church from the earth to meet Him in the air. And the Bible says that those who are in Christ who have died are going to be the first ones to be taken up. And then those who are still alive, the believers still alive, will be caught up to be with the Lord. And we're going to receive a new redeemed body in heaven with the Lord. There'll be no sin. The dead bodies come out of the grave. Instantaneously, a new body is given. A believer in an old unredeemed body is going to be changed in a, in a twinkling of an eye, in a moment, a split second, and be made exactly into a, with a glorified body, a body just like Christ had after he was raised from the dead. So in conclusion, let me ask you this question. How, how do you know if you belong to God? How do you know if you're really in the Spirit? Here's some questions you might ask today. Do you long for God's will to be done in your life? Do you want to know God intimately? Do you want to please God? The same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus and lived in the Apostle Paul lives in you and lives in me. Or do, do you want Jesus to rule your life? Or do you not want Christ to rule your life? Do you not want God to leave you alone, let you do what you want to do? You see, we, must, we will still struggle with temptation and sin the rest of our lives, but we must be relentless to put it to death by the power of of the Holy Spirit. I encourage you today not to settle for less, but to know that God has provided everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. We just need to learn to walk by faith. You know, in Colossians 2, 6, the Bible says, as we have received the Lord Jesus Christ, so walk in Him. How did you receive Christ? By faith. How do, you, how do you live the Christian life? By faith. It's a, it's a process of choosing and trusting. Choosing to obey God. Choosing to put to death sin. Specific sins that, that uh, are besetting sins or sins that you see in your life. Put them to death. Confess them as sin. Renounce them. And then obey. Or rather, choose and then trust the Holy Spirit for the power to obey. Choose, choose to obey God and then trust the Spirit of God to make it so in your life. That's how we walk. That's how we live. That's how we conduct ourselves in the Christian life. Today, I don't know how God has spoken to your heart. We're going to give an invitation. If you are here today and you're still in that nature you were born with, 
and you want a new nature, you can come to Christ today by faith in Him. He paid the price of your sin on the cross. He will forgive you of your sin and He will count you righteous. You'll be forgiven and counted righteous when you come to faith in Christ. Or maybe you're here today and you would admit that you've been trying to live the Christian life in your own power and you haven't done so well. And maybe you would want to come and say, you know, today I want to nail down a stake. I want to start living by faith. I want to start trusting the Spirit of God who lives in me for the power that I need to live the Christian life. Now, you may be here and say, well, you know, I've been trying to live the Christian life in my own power, and I'm I'm doing pretty good. You know, I don't have all these bad things going on in my life. Well, the Bible says that God resists the proud, and that's that's pride. Where we're, we're proud of what we can accomplish, that's pride. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself before the Lord. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your word and how it instructs us and how to live.